Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Central Texas Living with Ann Harder. The state and local economies are beginning their first steps in reopening after the unprecedented shutdown due to COVID-19. want to welcome to the podcast Dr. Ray Perryman, founder of the Perryman Group, the state's preeminent economist and developer of economic models. Um, This is an opportunity to talk to you to find out what you are thinking Um, about the economy. It's been about a year since we had a chance to talk. Um, Have you changed your your mind on on things right now? Well, obviously things have happened in a fairly interesting way over the last year or so. And it's been been quite dramatic. And we had a big surge in the fall that we didn't really anticipate. I think it lasted longer than most of us thought thought that we would. But uh, we did a forecast about the time we did your podcast last year that showed uh, that, that showed roughly Texas would probably year over year lose about uh, 570 some odd thousand jobs. It lost about 570 some odd thousand jobs. So, so which, yeah. which is more luck, more luck than anything else. But but uh, but we are seeing you know the beginnings again of of some some healthy numbers coming along along, and that's encouraging uh, at this point in time. Obviously, the, and, and I think the important thing is, although we struggle with it some, particularly around the election. We did do the things we needed to do to keep most of the economic structure in place so that as we are able to resume normal life, we'll also be able to uh, to uh, uh, get the economy kickstarted in a pretty big way. I mean, I think we, we, we can come back fairly robustly once everything is, is, is more or less back to what can be normal is going to be. Well, what have you seen as bright spots in the economy as this recovery is underway? Well, the bright spots basically have been the industries that, that basically benefit from something like this. You know, we live in a complex world, and no matter how bad something is overall, some people benefit. Certainly, the delivery industry has done very well. Oh, my goodness, time. yeah. <laughs> Amazon. And, and, you know, yeah, o- o- online retailing has done very well in this time. You know, one that might surprise some people is the housing market has held up very well. In, in most places, housing starts are up and housing sales are up and that sort of thing, which surprises a lot of people. And I think probably as much as anything, what happened was, uh, number one, because of the pandemic situation, prices were very attractive. The Federal Reserve was very aggressive, so mortgage rates went to historic lows. And then, and then, as you know, these stimulus packages, they get money where, where, it's, need, where, they, where it's needed, but they also get it some places where it's not needed because, because 
they, they make a blanket thing. If you make less than X money, you get a check or what, whatever it may be. Well, people who didn't really need that check, it could just go toward the down payment. And so I think the combination of all those things uh, really gave a boost to the housing market, despite everything else that was going on. Yeah, let's talk a little bit more about the, what is it, nearly $6 trillion now right. approved by Congress. Um, some of it maybe not as targeted as it needs to be. I mean, I know you, you'd commented there's been some criticism of it. Sure, yeah. Well, on the whole, it, it, it has been about $6 trillion, and that's that's obviously a lot of money. Oh, man. Uh, uh, the, the deficits, I mean, if anybody who's heard me talk in the last 20 years has heard me rail about how we had no discipline in either party and we, and we weren't doing things to, to bring the budget somewhat more under control, but this really was a situation where we couldn't worry about that. We really had to do some things to keep the structure together because, remember, this thing started after we had 11 years of economic recovery almost, I mean, and we still had some legs to it. So this started at a historically long economic recovery, and as long as we just kept the, the, the structure in place, it'd be okay. But if you start letting people lose their homes in, in, in large numbers, people that have no income in large numbers, small businesses have to close permanently. If you have too much of that, you can then basically take an economy that wasn't broken and break it. Yeah. And, and these programs helped us not to do that. Now, they weren't perfect. You know, federal programs are never perfect. Uh, you know, just for one thing, we're just not that efficient. You know, they, the first round, they sent some checks to dead people and that sort of thing. Oh, yeah. And, and, and uh, took forever to write some of the regulations for some, for some of the programs. Um, but, and, and also, it's impossible to target things exactly like you need to. Uh, you know, as we just talked about something a moment ago, the, the checks people got. They just basically said anybody who makes X amount of money or less gets a check. And, and if you have this many kids, you get a check. And, and, you know, some people need that check and some people don't. Yeah, so right. consequently, you know, some of the money gets spent immediately, put back in the economy, what you want to happen. Some of the rest of it gets put in, in, in savings accounts, and, and that's not what they want to happen. So, so you know, it's, it's not perfect by any means. Some of the last bill was more than we needed, but we definitely needed it because we still have a few months left before we can hope to be back to kind of a normal situation. So on the whole, I would give them pretty high marks for doing these things. They waited too long to do the last one, frankly. The election held it up. We got the so-called sure. city bill at the end of last year. We, we really needed more a little sooner because the CARES Act, the first one, that was passed very early on, you know, but basically, I think it sort of assumed, and most people sort of assumed, we were probably in this thing for three or four months and then life would kind of start to get back to normal. And it, it wasn't geared for a year-long situation, which is what we ended up experiencing. So, so on the whole, I think they've been good. There's clearly some pieces of them that are that were not necessary and that sort of thing. But, but again, we, the, as complex as it is to begin with, we never make policy with a scalpel. We always make it with a machete. <laughs> and, and get in that situation, I, I think they did fairly well. Yeah, I know you spent a lot of your time, you know, working with these uh, subcommittees uh, out of Congress and helping advise That's them, right? That's today. Yeah. <laughs> Well, they need all the advice they can get. Let's talk about employment and unemployment, really, more a little bit more targeted. I know in Central Texas, I think you said 10,000, 11,000 jobs were lost. How is that looking now? What have you seen? You know, actually, the Waco area has done better than, than most places in that regard. Uh, the Waco area lost about 10,000 jobs, which is, a, you know, it's, a, it's That's a, a lot. about the same percentage of the, of the economy that, that most places lost. Uh, and... But if you look at if you look at a year later, where are we? Waco's only down net 
comparing now to this time a year ago, Waco was only down 300 jobs. And, uh, you know, that's a fairly small percentage. A lot of, of areas are down a lot more. I mentioned mm -hmm. the state, although the average year over year was 575,000. Overall, it's down about 400,000 jobs. And, and uh, uh, the U.S. is down about 9 million jobs. And on a percentage basis, Waco has come back much further than the rest of them. Waco's gotten back about 96, 97% of all its jobs. The typical situation now is about two-thirds to 70%, something like that. So Waco's actually done, uh, done quite well in this regard. Now, when we spoke last year, oil prices had tanked. Do you remember? That's right. It was like almost <laughs> negative numbers. Well... They actually were negative at one point. That's right. That's right. Well... Things are looking a little different at the pump right now. So what can you tell us about oil prices and what we can expect going into the summer travel season? Well, the, the oil prices came up. We knew they would come up yeah, uh, because that was unrealistically low. And, and you know, we, you have to go back and look at this again. The thing I keep telling people, nobody can under, it, it's hard if you don't look at the numbers every day, uh, like geeks like me do. It, it's hard to understand just how deep this drop was. And oil is one very good example of that. The demand for oil before this thing started was roughly 101 million barrels a day in the world. It dropped to 72. I mean, I mean, the, the demand for oil dropped 30% in a month. And, and I mean, that's just almost impossible to imagine. And everybody was saying, oh, it's the end of oil and that sort of thing. No, 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 it's not. <laughs> it's already back up into the mid-90s. And I think probably by this time next year, we'll be back up pretty close to where we were before uh, with oil. And uh, I think the prices right now are on a fairly maintainable level. You know, we saw a little bit of a, an extra about four or five bucks in the price of oil during the uh, during the freeze. But but it's uh, it, it's pretty much in a, in a range where it's likely to stay for a while. Just trying to second guess what the folks in the Middle East are going to do and what some of the other producers are going to do. But it's back to a level where it makes sense for Texas producers and most of the fields to produce some oil, and, and that's encouraging. I think the summer driving season. Is likely to be pretty robust and have pretty high gasoline demand simply because uh, uh, people have been cooped up. Yeah. And, and we think, you know, it, it, it appears as if we're kind of running this race between the vaccine there or the, the virus variants and the vaccines, but it appears like late summer, early fall, maybe when life kind of resumes some type of normal. And I think a lot of people are thinking a desire to get in their car and go somewhere. So I suspect. Uh, Memorial Day to some extent, certainly July the 4th and Labor Day, those weekends are probably going to be pretty big uh, travel weekends this time around in, in our cars. Now that's that's good news, certainly for uh, the hospitality industry and all the way down. Uh, I know uh, air travel, I mean, that that was one uh, sector that they really have caught it yeah, in the it's throat. Been devastated. I mean, it, yeah. it's been absolutely devastated. I mean, they, they had 70% drops in, in, in revenues over an extended period of time. I mean, it's been it's been very difficult for them, and that's one of the things that, that two of the three stimulus packages dealt with were some things to kind of keep that industry viable because obviously we need an airline industry going forward. It's probably going to look a little different, uh, but but uh, we're still going to be going places. People want to see their families. People want to see the sights of the world, and we're, we're still going to be doing all those things. People still have to conduct business in all corners of the world. So so we, we you know that it's but you know it, it'll be a little it'll look a little different. And if you think about it. Before the pandemic started, it looked different than it used to look before 9/11. I mean, right. that, that was an event that changed the airlines. Before 9/11, if, if if grandma was coming to town and you wanted to have 20 people at the gate to meet her, that was no problem. Right. You, know, you, you haven't been able to do that for the past 20 years. That's so, true. You know, I mean, things change and evolve as as these major events in, in, in history happen. Well, you mentioned the freeze, and uh, that February winter storm it cost 
really so many lives right. and, uh, and big money in damages to homes thanks to frozen and burst water pipes. Uh, I know you've written several articles about that, you know, when, right. when all that was going on. And it's a little bit more of a distant memory now that we're seeing all the spring blooming and the warmer temperatures. And it's like, oh, yeah, it was real cold back then. But it, but it was a devastating occurrence. Well, and some people are still dealing with it. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Well, right. So um, what do you think should be done that this kind of disaster never happens again, uh, at least in the state of Texas where our energy grid is concerned? Well, it's a complex issue. There are several mm-hmm. things that need to be done. Uh, if those of you really want to jump into the weeds of it, I think it was about two Sundays ago, three Sundays ago, I can't remember. I had like a four-page article in the Dallas Morning News that kind of laid out the whole thing. And, you know, it starts with some things that are just just endemic. I mean, we build our buildings and houses uh, and factories here in Texas to expel heat, not to hold heat in. Exactly. Because the summers get so hot. Right. So it, it starts with, with the way we construct buildings here is different. But there were a lot of problems in this that came about that shouldn't have and things we need to do to address those problems. Uh, the market that we have in, in the state is very good in a lot of ways. And, and I was in the group that helped design it. 20 years ago, so I, I, I was I was very actively involved in it. But at the time, myself and a couple of other people, including the guy who was then head of the Public Utility Commission, is went on to be head of the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, Pat Wood, good Port Arthur boy. Uh, he and I <laughs> said at the time, we need to create a capacity market. Well, here's what that means. That, that sounds like weird words. Right now in Texas, you in the in ERCOT. People only make people who have power plants only make money when they sell power, and we need power that's just sitting around waiting, and we don't have a mechanism for anybody to make any money doing that, and yet mm-hmm. we need it at times. So, so we need to we need to work on that, create the capacity market. We need to uh, we need to do some other things. I don't want to get way into the weeds, but but a good example is we didn't prioritize the oil and gas wells. You know, and it you know it sounds logical. You know, if you're just sitting here in, in, your, in, in, in your home like I am right now, so it makes more sense to prioritize somebody's house than an oil field. But the problem is the natural gas in those fields is what, it's what 
refuels the power plants when wind and sun are, isn't working. Right. And so if you, basically the oil fields went dark, and so and so you couldn't produce you couldn't produce the natural gas that you needed to run the power plants, and and so it's you know just things like that. I mean, I mean there are things we need to rethink the whole process. Uh, some of the utilities, you know, because you, you save money, uh, chose to buy what's called interruptible gas. That means you, you get your gas a little cheaper, but you're the first one they cut off. Mm-hmm. Well, that may not be the best thing to do. That's if, not if, a good thing. During severe weather months. Uh, I've yeah. likened it to, you know, on a busy holiday weekend, you shouldn't fly standby to, to your daughter's wedding. And, and that's, <laughs> that's sort of what they were doing. Right. And so, and so I think there's, you know, I, there, there's some practical things we need to do. But, but we all know that oil fields and power plants and wind farms and solar farms work just fine in the winter in much, much colder places than we are here in Texas. We just right. have to do some things to make ours work better. And it's a matter of tweaking some things in our market regulation and applying a little common sense here and there. Well, you know, a lot of things have changed since last year right. when we spoke. Um, certainly in the way people do business. they It's really kind of remarkable when you think how fast people had to change um, how they were how they were working and now they're working from home. What and and some of these things I think are permanently changed. What are you seeing in your research as far as the the way people conduct business? Well, some things are permanently changing. Uh, if you take retail as an example, for like the last fifteen years or so, there's been a trend. We're all aware of it that every year more and more and more was done online. You know, in mm-hmm. the percentage of the total, I mean, everybody's been. For, for the last 15 to 20 years, getting more and more comfortable shopping online, doing online. This really put that on steroids. <laughs> and, uh, and so a lot of people who didn't want to shop online had to shop online. And so as a result of that, and, and some of them liked it. So I think you'll see, you know, people want to go back to the stores. They like to see and feel and touch things. They like to talk to, to people who know something about it when they're making a purchase. And they like the interaction and just being out and shopping. Mm-hmm. So, you know, th- that's not going to go away. But I think the online piece of it is going to be more important. And retailers to be successful enough to integrate their their bricks and mortar with an, with an online presence a little more than they have in the past. Some have done that very well. Some haven't. Um, clearly, you mentioned airline travel. The way we travel is going to change some. I think you will see a lot of meetings. I know a lot of them I've been in my life where you where you need ten people in the same room and they're in ten different states. And you spend a lot of money getting ten people in a room. Oh yeah. Uh, you know you can now do it the way you and I are talking right now. And that, uh, and, and I think you'll probably see more of that. There'll be some efficiencies there, but business is still going to be conducted. People are still going to travel. I think there's going to be some differences there that 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 are that are important to notice. Real estate, I think, is going to be a, a very big difference. And we we tried to talk to people about that. There's been some surveys done that we've looked at, and you know, a lot of people have become very comfortable working from home. And and what right. I'm what I'm hearing from my from my group is. Those who are about my age are, are are like to come to the office every day. Those in the generation younger than me just soon work from home all the time. So that's uh, so so you. But 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 the bottom line is, if you look at what corporate executives are saying, almost all of them are saying we're going to keep our office presence, but we do recognize we're going to have more flexibility going forward. So I think you're going to have two things arguing with each other, so to speak. On any given day in a typical office, you will probably have fewer people working. Mm-hmm. Uh, more people working from home, remotely, that sort of thing. By the same token, I think you'll have more square feet per worker that you have to allocate. So that'll take up more space per worker because you need to distance people. You need to give people right. ability to separate. Some of the things you've, you've often done where everybody's 
together in, in some of these open spaces, they have to rethink some of that. If you look over, the, and obviously, as you know, uh, I've been doing this for a very, very long time. I'm, I'm well into my fifth decade now. And when I first started building real estate models, when you added a new work, a new employee to an office space, you needed about 350 square feet. That number came down to less to about 150 square feet over the past few decades because we figured out more and more ways to use space more efficiently. Mm -hmm. I think we're going to see it go back up a little bit now. I don't yeah. think it'll go back up to where it was, but it's going to—it's not going to be 150. It's going to start going up some. So that'll mean more real estate, fewer people need less real estate, and those two forces are kind of going to duke it out. Uh, well, you just can't wonder about you know major metro areas that have all these big office buildings, and you just right. wonder how how utilized they are right now. Right, and it, 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 it's going to be a challenge. And I think mm -hmm. you'll probably see some of that converted to residential. There was already a trend yeah. in that direction before this, and, and I think you'll see a lot of different things happen. Uh, hmm. Some of the offices, I think, are more likely to locate more proximate to where people live in some of the suburban areas. That's something that, that people are telling people they want. We kind of want to go to the office. We don't want to drive 20 miles through traffic to get there. And so <laughs> you're hearing that from, and you know, when you hear that from knowledge workers and workers that are in demand, their employers are going to respond to that. And so and so there's there's a lot of, of, of dynamics that are going to take place there. I mean, we're still going, I've often said that the best way to think about real estate is think about real estate as the boxes that hold the economy. And hmm. when more people are shopping, you need more stores. When more people are in the offices, you need more offices. When more people are uh, are in factories, you need more factories, whatever it may be. But real estate is the that the real estate comprises the boxes that hold the rest of the economy together. And and obviously that will change with the, with the way we work. It will evolve over time. Well, COVID has certainly made a big impact on our economy. But I recall about a year ago you saying. You were you were optimistic in that you said in five years' time the economy would be about where it would have been even if all this had not happened. You well, still I think, think it was that? A longer time, it was a little longer time period than five years, but, but but yes, I do think we start to get back to normal. And our long term forecasts are showing that again. The composition changes some because we, you know some things will be done differently, but we haven't really lost our overall growth potential. And this is what a lot of people fail to realize, and I think it's important to realize in the middle of this pandemic. The big things that drive the global economy, are, they're not elections, they're not what we've been through the past year, those certainly put a pause on things sometimes. But, but, uh, but basically it's a, it's a couple of things. One, or three actually, of major ones, demographics. You know, how many people are being born, die, where they live, where they move, that sort of thing. That hasn't changed a whole lot. We, we're gonna have one year that's a real anomaly in the United States because we've already, we already had a very low population growth rate uh, and, and this year, we had about 600,000 excess deaths, according to the actuarial folks back in 2020. We had 300,000 fewer babies born. So mm. we've locked out about half of our growth for this year, and, and we are, we're already at a historically low level of growth. So we're going to have one year that's a real anomaly. We'll see it in statistics the rest of our, our, our lives. But, but basically, the world demographics didn't shift much, much if any, because of this. The world trading cost patterns, that's the second biggest one. That didn't shift much. And the third big one is technology and what's going to happen in that realm. And if anything, we've accelerated the development of technology because we've created a whole lot of new resources and a whole lot of new demands. I mean, we, we've said, figure out ways we can be more secure, figure out ways we can be healthier, figure out ways we can be safer. We've told all the bright young people out there, this is if you want to make some money, this is what you need to figure out. And they'll be out there figuring that out. And so, uh, so, so those big things that drive the economy over long periods of time just really haven't changed much. 
And all the other stuff we talk about and fret about all the time, and certainly I look at it when I'm doing a three-month forecast or a one-year forecast or even a five- or ten-year forecast. If, if you look at the grand sweep of history, those things get swamped by these bigger trends and bigger factors that, that really drive where we're going. What is it you wish average people understood about the Texas economy that maybe they don't understand? Well, I, I would say probably the biggest thing is we like, obviously, the Texas economy, putting 2020 aside, because that hit everybody. The Texas economy's had a very good run for a long time, and we have a lot of, a lot of advantages in that run. Uh, and, and, and we've been very successful, and I think we'll probably be very successful going forward for a while. But we do have some very important challenges that I want people to think about and realize. If you look, I mentioned demographics a moment ago. If you look at the demographic shifts going on in our state right now and the state of our public schools, we have a real problem in terms of providing the workforce we need for the future and educating future citizens the way we need to. Uh, we're not keeping up with infrastructure as well as we should. Our health safety net is not what it needs to be. Uh, we have the highest rate of uninsured folks in the country. We have some real challenges in some of our rural areas, that sort of thing. And frankly, another one that's sometimes controversial, but it's nonetheless true, we have not done as well in, in being as open and equal in access to housing, to jobs, and that sort of thing as some other parts of the country have. And as you, again, we move to a more technological world, more knowledge workers, that becomes more and more and more important to long-term success. So I think the thing I'd like for people to realize is Texas is doing well. We, we've got a lot of things going for us, great location, cost factors, regulatory factors. Uh, you know, how many places are both inland and have ports? I mean, I mean we're very mm -hmm. fortunate in so many ways. The big, the, the concentrations of activity in our major cities. So there's a lot of good things about the Texas economy. But we have some very, very real challenges over the next 10, 15, 20 years that we really need to, as a state, step up to the plate and take care of. And folks can always access more information from you through your newsletter. How can they uh, get on get on board with that? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. We have. Uh, our, you can go to our website, PyramidGroup.com. There's a bunch of free stuff out there, and if you want to buy our newsletters or our forecast or or hire us or anything else, we're more happy to take <laughs> care of it. But, there, but there's a lot of information out there that that's free of charge that we're happy to provide. Anybody that wants to sign up to receive our weekly column by email. Uh, there's a place on there you can just sign up and we send it to you every week. And, and I think I think it's the papers get it from Wednesday through Sunday, then we blast it out the following Monday or something. I don't know, something like that. But in any case, there, I just at our website there's a lot of information that, that you can get from us, uh, both both the free stuff and the stuff if you want if you want to pay us some money, we don't object to that either. <laughs> you would not turn it away. Uh, the Perryman Group. Thank you so much. Dr. Ray Perryman, been knowing you a long, long time through uh, your initial days at Baylor University, and and it is just wonderful to get to uh, to pick your brain a little bit, and uh, maybe need to do this every year, huh? Hey, See I'm how things are going. Thanks, Thanks <laughs> All right, thank you, thank you, Ray. Bye bye. Bye bye. Central Texas Living is part of the Rogue Media Network family. Be sure to check out their other shows at RogueMediaNetwork.com. Please rate us five stars on iTunes and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Join us again soon for more Central Texas Living, the podcast. This has been Rogue Media Network Podcast.